Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. song just before I speak. I don't know if I can live up to that. But uh, there was a time when that was known as the National Anthem for Churches of Christ. That's been a few years ago, but it's still a rousing gospel song and you sing it so well. Thank you for being here this morning and for those of you who are joining us online, we especially are grateful for you as well. In fact, uh, I think I mention that just about every Sunday that we've got uh, hundreds of people who are joining us online and we're delighted uh, not for the circumstances that demands that, that necessitates that, but the fact that we do have that uh, technology available and you're taking advantage of it and then joining us uh, as we worship together. Uh, For obvious reasons, we're going to be looking at a a lesson this morning that has to do with our our attitude of gratitude, of developing that in our lives and hopefully making us more aware every day, not just one day out out of the year, but every day of our lives of the many blessings that God has granted to us and for which we should be aware and appropriately grateful. The text that was just read is a text that I want us to look at very closely this morning, so I hope you'll keep your Bibles or your devices open to to that particular passage. And when you read that, especially looking at focusing on verse 18, that's a pretty tough task, isn't it? I, I sense that I'm not the only Christian who struggles with doing what Paul has called upon us, what he has actually mandated that we ought to be doing in verse 18. If he had just said, give thanks for some things, or even if he had gone one step farther and said, give thanks for most things, then we probably could have complied. We say, yeah, you know, that might be a little tough, but I can do that. But the fact that, uh, that he has called upon us to give thanks in every circumstance is tough. And so we have to kind of swallow hard, hitch up our resolve, and determine to do that. The question I want us to ask ourselves this morning in light of that reading is, number one, is that possible? And I believe that you know the answer to that, that uh, command implies control. Whenever God has commanded us to do something, that always implies that we're capable, we're able to do that. He never has commanded us to do anything that we are incapable of being able to obey. And so we understand that the answer to that is obviously yes, but then once that has been decided, we have to ask this question, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about every day of our lives, especially, I mean, especially this year, huh? I I saw a church sign, I I may have mentioned this weeks ago when we first started meeting back in the building, but I'm going to mention it again because it's on my mind. I saw a church sign that said, can we reinstall 2020? This one has a virus. And, and I, I, think, I think that uh, many of us feel that way. I mean, what a year this has been. And, and yet here still we are. And so is there anything at all as we look back over this past calendar year for which to be thankful? And I believe that every sensitive individual would answer with an emphatic yes. For one thing, here we are on this side of the grass. 
You know, we haven't succumbed to, to the virus. We, we're all here, and we're all, at least to some degree, we're healthy. But so, again, I, I want us to ask about the, the nuts and the bolts of this passage, the mechanics of actually doing what it is that Paul has, has commanded us to do, and that is to give thanks in, in everything. Can we really grow and mature as God's children to the point that in every situation of life, that in every circumstance that we may encounter, we can find something for which to be grateful so that's the question on the floor this morning. And I hope that as we study together that we will come to a satisfactory and, and, a, and a gratifying answer to that. I believe that God's word has really told us how. He's given us some mechanics as to how we can actually do what Paul has commanded for us to do. Let's break that command down into its simplest components and then let's see what we get when we put it back together. Let me say first of all, very simply, that living a life of thanksgiving involves noticing stuff. You may have been looking for something much more esoteric than that, but I want this to be absolutely understandable. It means it means looking around and noticing stuff. I read that statement not long ago, and I, I think it's remarkably insightful, simply because it's true. If you want to see genuine thankfulness, look at a child giving thanks at the dinner table. They're likely to to thank God for everything on the table. And I mean including knives and forks and spoons and salt shakers and <laughs> everything on the table. Because they are aware of everything that's there and, and they're appropriately giving thanks for it. Because the truth is, if you notice things, you'll be thankful. Or at least that is the first step in the process of developing the attitude of gratitude in our lives. I, I know that the contraposition of that statement is also true, and that is to not be thankful, to not notice stuff, requires a filtering out of a lot of good stuff. It means that I have become to the point in my life of spiritual callousness where I am no longer aware of the blessings that God has given me on a daily basis. So I'm not noticing those things that come from God, that God has blessed me with. And, and that's not where we want to be. We, we want to be able to do exactly what Paul has, has mandated in, in our text. And, and that is that we, we be grateful in every circumstance. It's somewhat like blinders on a horse. Some of you have a, a farm backgrounds or are old enough to remember when they used to put blinders on horses and mules. And that literally was exactly what it sounds like. It was kind of a guard that was on each side of the horse's eyes. And, and the horse isn't allowed to look to the right or to the left, especially if it's skittish, because that cuts down on the distraction by, by wearing the blinders. They only look in one direction. They only have one thing in mind, and that is getting where they're going. But God never designed human beings to have blinders on. And certainly, he, he wants every disciple of Jesus to get to heaven. And certainly that does demand focus on our part. It does demand that, the, that we eliminate to the best of our ability the distractions that would keep us from, from pursuing God and, and walking in the path that God would have us to be walking. But, but he, he didn't make us so that we're oblivious to what's going on around us. We need to aim at heaven. We need to set that as our goal. All of that is absolutely correct. And so that means that we need to stay focused on Jesus. And, and turning our eyes upon Jesus is, man, we've talked about that plenty in the last two years, so, so I'm not going to belabor that point. But to understand that when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we stay focused on heaven, then that's not a spiritual distraction. In fact, when we do that, when we really have focused our eyes on the Lord, and we really have set our aim 
on going to heaven, then that gives us a wonderful permission to look around and to be grateful. And God has granted us that at least in an implied sort of way on virtually every page of Scripture. Let's take another look at our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18. It was read very well a moment ago, but I want us to focus on it again. And it's, it's, it's basically brief, but it's still powerful and it's insightful. Rejoice always, Paul writes. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now here's a lesson that I think that we can take away from a consideration of this passage. Sometimes, and whether you write this down or not, I hope you'll remember it. Sometimes we can be thankful and we can give thanks for things that didn't happen. Now, you may already be ahead of me and know where I'm going with that point. If right, if so, then you're absolutely right about that. I read about a, a fellow gospel preacher whose name is Paul Woodhouse, who now preaches over in Rogers, Arkansas, at least according to the article that he, he, he wrote and I read. But he said the year was 1976, and Paul and his family lived in, I believe it was northwest Kansas, in a little town, he said, whose only claim to fame was sod houses and wheat fields. And he said the only fast food joint in town was a, a local Dairy Queen. Well, Paul had graduated from Harding College. It was still college back in those days in May of that year. And he had hurriedly, ta hurriedly taken a job in, in that Kansas town because he said, frankly, he was scared to death of being unemployed. He was a newly married, and he felt the awesome responsibility of making sure that he took care of his new bride. And so the idea of being unemployed was just anathema to him, and so he was ready to jump at the first job that was offered. So being a radio broadcaster was his aspiration, but he didn't pay very well. And so he took a job out of fear that he might not get any offer at all otherwise. And Paul will tell you that looking back on that, uh, on that situation... He says that was the mistake of a guy who's operating out of fear rather than from faith. But the job didn't pay very much at all. And Paul had worked long hours, seven days a week for a couple of months before it finally hit him. You know, life can be better than this. It doesn't have to be this way. And he'd been negotiating with a radio station owner not far from where he lives now that was interested in hiring him, and all of that was good. But he realized that a move to northwest Arkansas was, was weeks from happening. Christmas was right around the corner, and he just didn't know what he was going to do. And he and his wife had spent pretty much all of their money on, on a trip, a Thanksgiving trip to, uh, to visit family in Missouri. And, and they weren't exactly penniless, but Paul says we were... Uh, in his words, very low on resources. They said they couldn't even afford to buy a Christmas tree. And one of the reasons was, as he recalls, that trees had to be imported from places that actually had trees. And so he said that added to the shipping cost, and, and trees were pretty expensive. And so they, it kind of makes you cry to think about it, they, they decorated a, a card table with Christmas paper. And, and, and bows, and, and they wrapped gifts that normally they would have simply put in the stocking, but that's all they had that year. So here it was, Paul and his wife, Deb, alone in their drafty little apartment in northwest Kansas, hundreds of miles from either of their families. And Paul said, looking back on that, it was, it would be accurate to say it was a dreary and dismal Christmas. But he says, 
And here's the perspective part. He said, since that day, things have never been so bad that we did not give thanks that it wasn't the Christmas of 1976. I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a low spot in your life where you're able to at least look back on a lower place in your life? Where you go, at least it isn't the Christmas of. I, you know, like for, for my family growing up, we would say at least it's not 1958 when our house burnt to the ground or something to that effect. Happiness, you see, is relative. We can always look back on some time, some place, some circumstance, and we can give thanks, even though it may be tough right now, that at least it wasn't like it was back then. And maybe you've been there and you've experienced that. But Paul tells us in our text to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, that's, that's a real tough thing to ask. And, and many of us struggle with it. Please notice here that Paul did not command that folks give thanks for all circumstances. I hope you've noticed that grammar. He commanded that we give thanks in all circumstances. And that makes that doable. It makes it still difficult, but it's still doable for all of us. In fact, in his book, The Road Less Travel, Scott Peck begins with this statement. Three words. Life is difficult. I believe anybody that's lived over more than six years probably would agree that Peck is exactly right about that. There are times when life can be very difficult. And then he goes on to say that the worst day of your life may have been the loss of a mother or a father or even a son or a daughter. And he goes on to write about some of his own personal circumstances and experiences. And he says, surely there's no worse day that could possibly be experienced than when a parent loses a child. Anyone who's experienced that knows that it's just not natural to bury one of your own children. Losing a wife or a husband to death or, or even to divorce can be devastating. So you see, we don't, we don't thank God for those tragedies. Because anybody in their right mind says you can't give thanks for the tragedy itself, but we can give thanks to God in the midst of those circumstances, and that's exactly Paul's point. One morning after a terrible snowstorm, there was a woman named Susan who was outside shoveling the snow off of her driveway so that she could at least get her car out of the garage. Well, she stopped to wave to a neighbor who was passing by, and, and he asked her, only half-jokingly, why her husband wasn't out helping her to shovel the snow off of the driveway. And she explained that, well, one of them had to stay inside and take care of the kids. So they drew straws to see which one would go out in the 10-degree weather and shovel the snow and which one would stay inside with the kids. And he said, well, sorry about your bad luck. And she said, don't be sorry. I won. <laughs> So no matter what, what's going on, you, you can find something to be grateful for. Folks, I'm saying there is not a circumstance in life in which we cannot find something for which to give thanks if we will just commit ourselves to noticing stuff. Let me suggest something else for your consideration before we get through with this lesson. How many of you want Satan to win the battle for your soul? I really believe I know the answer to that, or you would be someplace else this morning. Remember, Satan hates you. He wants you dead. And, and if you really want to aggravate the enemy of your soul, that, then learn how to give thanks during the bad stuff that's happening in your life, because it will drive Satan absolutely crazy. 
I mean, he'll howl, he'll scream, he'll stomp his feet. And so learn to do what Paul has told us to do, and that is to give thanks in every circumstance. Praise God, even in the storms of life. Lift your face toward heaven, and if you have to, let the the tears stream down your face as you honestly and sincerely thank God for all who is the source of all blessings in life. And folks, if we can do that, you will frustrate Satan to no end. And and, and he may even take away some things in your life out of retribution. But let me tell you this, with a certainty born of the inspiration of Scripture, he will not be able to take anything away from you that really matters, that you will need in time and eternity. There is not a thing in the world that really matters that Satan can take away from you. Remember Paul's assurance. It's already been referenced one time this morning in this worship assembly in Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39. That Paul says again by inspiration that there is no, nothing created in this universe that can separate you from the love of God which is, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and what a wonderful resource that is. And, and isn't that something that we, ought to, that we ought to thank God for every single day of our lives? Don't let Satan steal your joy when tough times come into your life. Learn to give thanks even in those circumstances for something. Notice stuff and begin to make a list if you have to about all the things that God has. I know people that do that, that began each day with their quiet time. And a part of that is it's just making a list of all of their blessings. And then that, that informs them when they, when they pray, when they spend their time in prayer. And, and, and much of the prayer now is giving thanks to God, not just asking for things. Realizing that prayer is more than just posting your Christmas list on, on God's video board. It's, it's recognizing what he's already done for you. And, and acknowledging that and being grateful for that. And to boil it all down, that's why Paul commands in our text, it, notice it is a requirement, it's not a request, that we give thanks in all circumstances. Let me give you a Bible illustration of that over in Luke chapter 17. If you want to turn there, we're going to read two or three verses in just a moment. But in the days of Jesus, I remind you as we, as we consider this text, as it still is today, having leprosy was a death sentence. There was not, in my understanding is, there still is not any cure for leprosy. And, and it was a slow and agonizing way to die. Physical wasting caused by damaged nerve endings that led to the loss of extremities. I mean, fingers and toes, noses and ears would literally drop off the body. But it was, it was alienation from your family, I think, that was more of an emotional and spiritual death for the leper. I, I think to a person, each one would tell you that the worst part of having leprosy was the fact that they were now alienated from those that they loved and cared about the very most. And the Bible account says that ten guys who all had leprosy were hanging out together one day in an unnamed village. Now, you know that lepers lived together in leper colonies because they, those that had that infectious disease didn't want to infect others. In fact, it was, I think, a, a, a regulation of law. But they were ordered by the law to leave their families, their wives, their children, their, their parents, and any extended family and to live a way to keep that leprosy from spreading. It kind of reminds you a little bit of what's going on today, doesn't it? As people had to quarantine themselves to keep the healthy population from catching that disease. And so the Bible account says that Jesus was traveling along and he he goes into the village where these guys are. 
Now, it's possible that this town had actually been assigned to lepers. I mean, otherwise, why would they be there? So think in terms of kind of an Alcatraz for lepers. Anyway, they throw dignity to the wind. The Bible says they shout to Jesus from a distance. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 17. And I want to read verses, well, actually, I'm going to back up to verse 12 and read through verse 19 if you want to follow along in your Bible. Then as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, there met... There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Social distancing, right here in the Bible. Who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice how plaintive is that cry, that plea. And, and so when, they saw, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went... Notice they had to begin to obey before they got the payoff. As they went, the Bible says, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his, that is at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, where were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan man? And and he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I know probably dozens, maybe even hundreds of times you've you've read this passage and you know it backwards and forwards. But I, I still believe that Jesus' question resonates with the reader. You can't read that without asking the same question. Weren't there ten healed of an incurable disease? that separated you from your family and from polite society. 90, don't, I hope we don't miss that. that the, the punchline is that 90% of those lepers fail to give thanks and to praise God for being cured of an incurable disease. And, and they were saved from a death sentence. They were healed of that infectious disease. And, and I think this is the big part of the package. They were able to go home. And to again be reunited with their families. Think about that for just a moment. Each one of them would have had a glorious homecoming the moment they stepped onto the front porch. The family couldn't believe who was at the door. And now they're whole, they're healed, they're cleansed of that leprosy. And they were reunited with their communities. They were able again to take their places in society. And yet, only one of them returned to give thanks to the Lord. That's like an animal in the barnyard. I've, I've worked enough in, in, on farms to know that this is absolutely true. An animal will eat what is spread in front of them on the ground, especially if you're feeding like, say, chickens. And they will not ever once look up to see who it is that's feeding them. And what separates people from animals is, is their ability to feel gratitude and then to express thankfulness for what we are grateful for. Those lepers got a, I mean, it's an understatement to say that they got a huge blessing. But they were so busy with getting on with their lives that they never once looked up to thank God, the source of their blessings. I'm just saying that that ought to be a cautionary tale to each one of us. Let's be very careful that we're not that people, that we're not that mentality, that we don't do what they did. Several years ago, some German immigrants to America told the story of a woman who was living on a farm in Germany who brought to her minister an amount in German currency that is equivalent pretty much to about $10 in American money. But back in those days when this story took place, 
that was not an insubstantial amount of money. $10 was, was a, a month's salary. So as she laid the money down for, uh, before the minister, she said, you know, in former years, as she was explaining why she was giving extra above her weekly contribution, she said, you know, in former years, I've had to pay about this amount in medicine. And this year, nobody in my family has been sick. So what we would have spent on medicine, I'm going to give to the church And I hope that you will use it wisely. When sometime later, the same woman again came to her minister with about $5, this time explaining that many of her neighbors had suffered some losses in a recent windstorm. She said, our our farm was spared. And so here's $5 that I want to give you. I bring this to the church, this donation, as an offering of thanks. Wow, folks, how's that for gratitude? Because of something that didn't happen to me, I want to express my sincere gratitude to God for making that not happen. Please notice that we're really going backward in our text here in verse 18. If you still have your Bible open, you'll watch this grammatically. First, we said we need to give thanks in all circumstance. And then secondly, we moved on to give thanks. Final point I want to make is just give. Because that is the appropriate response of a grateful heart. We do like this lady did. We, we look for opportunities now to be a blessing to others. It may not be paying it forward because that the chronology doesn't work, but we're, we are grateful for what has already happened, has already taken place in our lives, or again, because of experiences that are negative that haven't taken place, and we haven't experienced. The best way to demonstrate thankfulness is to give. In Los Angeles, someone found a parking ticket on the sidewalk next to a car, and it had apparently blown out uh, from under the car's windshield wiper where those tickets normally are, are, are placed. And at the agency that handles the, the taking of the fines, there came in the mail this, this parking citation with a $5 bill attached to it, which was the price of the fine. And there was a note that, along with the money that said, I found this ticket on the sidewalk. I have no idea of the person who owns the car has ever actually seen it because of the fact that it blew off of their car. But I would like to send this remittance in for him for all of the times that I parked over the allotted time and didn't get a ticket. That's what I'm talking about. Sincere gratitude. How is that for gratitude? I'm just saying when when we're grateful, we give. It's been about 48 years now, if the math serves me correctly, since Eastern Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades. It was a dark, cold night when the brand-new jumbo jet crashed into the swamp and killed 101 people. Seventy-five people actually survived that crash, and one of the survivors was a man by the name of Ron Infantino, who was himself an aviation buff and who had been married only three weeks earlier. He was flying from New York that night with his bride, Lily, and they'd been married for only 20 days. Well... The flight was supposed to land in Miami at 11.30 that night. This was on December the 29th, 1972. The pilot of the Whisper Liner did a flyby Miami, and suddenly they were in the darkness as Miami's lights disappeared behind them, and they found themselves in the darkness of the Everglades. Well, an attempt was made at landing, but again, no luck. Uh, The crew tried to troubleshoot the problem. It turned out that there was a nose light that was the major issue, not really that important, but important in the grand scheme of things and making sure that they landed safely. So they put the jet on autopilot and they they worked to repair the problem. 
They became so concerned about that burned out bulb that they neglected to see that the jetliner was was losing altitude. It was pitch black. There was nothing to tell them how close they were to the ground. And, and one time out of a million, the instruments were wrong. Infantino, as a passenger, said he remembers distinctly as if it took place yesterday how that the plane lurched and then how that the engines began to roar and then all the stuff that began to fly out of the overhead compartments and and to be tossed around uh, in in the plane And, and, and the plane was angled at the time of the crash and it struck the swamp and it began to flip and to break apart and to throw passengers out of the plane onto the ground. Infantino remembers hitting the swamp still strapped in his seat, of all things, in a seating position with water up to his neck. In the crash, his clothes had been torn off of him. The only thing he had on was the rims of his socks. And survivors were found by a couple of guys who had been out frog gigging in the swamp that night. After five long hours, Infantino was found. One of his arms had been nearly ripped off, and he couldn't move. Well, he was taken to a levee where the helicopters were taking passengers, both living and dead, to the hospital. And Infantino asked where where Lily was, but but no one seemed to know. He was given the last rites because he was that close to death. But somehow he survived. Later they found Lily's body. She had survived the crash, but had drowned in the swampy waters. Some years later, Infantino started that commuter airline he had always dreamed of starting. And he listed God as the chairman of the board. Commutaire International Airways Incorporated is what he called his business. And it was started by Ron Infantino after his narrow escape from death that night in a jetliner. When people asked him to explain why God was listed as the chairman of the board, Ron said, who else but God could put me into business having anything to do with airplanes? Well, that airline uh, company did fairly well, but that's not the point. The point is, isn't it wonderful that someone would acknowledge and recognize God's part in saving his life? Lesser men would have blamed God for losing his wife, but he thanked God sincerely for the fact that his life was spared. And I'm just telling you this morning that if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, Christ has saved your life, both now and in eternity. And we ought to spend every day expressing our praise and honor and glory to him for having done that. We ought to rejoice in that fact. And folks, when we have an opportunity to come to church and sing with our brothers and sisters, we ought to sing like we mean it, because we do. And make him the chairman of the board in your life, because he has certainly given us everything to enjoy. I mean, Scripture says that every good, every, not just some, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. That's James 1, verse 17. So that's my message to you today. Give thanks for all that you have. If you're at rock bottom right now, Know that we are with you. If it's an illness, if it's a broken relationship, if it's sorrow from having some past sin in your life that you can't get over, if it's shame for past mistakes that you're wrestling with right now in your life, we are still with you. And we love you. And we may not be able to fix all of the broken parts of your life, and we may not be able to heal all the relationships, but we want you to know that 
that we've been in that boat at some point in our lives, and you are not alone. That just means that every one of us ought to be thankful people. And that Paul has told us to be thankful in every circumstance, no matter how grim those circumstances might be. And as we acknowledged in the beginning of this study, that's, that's pretty tough, but it is doable. And in our collective body, we've been through almost everything that a person can go through. I mean, if we got together and told all the stories and the experiences that we've had in life and even those negative things, we would probably laugh at one another for our lack of originality. Because we've all been through something in our lives that we would be able to share with this collective body that would help you to be able to get through that circumstance in your life. In this family of Christ followers, we we have hundreds of stories of how we've made it through some impossible situations. And even more wonderful, when you began to really think about it, we've been given a love from God that is nothing like the world's love. I mean, the world doesn't even understand the love of God that you and I can bask in every day of our lives. And they could too. If only they would get the message and accept that and become his followers as well. It's a steady and dependable love. It's an unshakable kind of love. In fact, when I think of the old rugged cross and what we've just commemorated around this table just a few minutes ago, I can only express God's love this way. It's a bloody love. It was a love that was willing to go to the cross and to die for every one of us. He was willing to pour his blood out because he wanted to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You know, so when we get back to our text, it's really no wonder that the Apostle Paul, who was known for his checkered past and for his persecuted life, could exclaim, rejoice always. Don't ever quit praying. In everything, give thanks For this is the will of God in Christ for you. None of those words are difficult to define or understand. But when you put them all together, what a tremendous charge that is to every one of us as God's people. And I'm just saying that this kind of bloody love only comes once in your lifetime, but it lasts forever. Would you respond to that love today? Would you be baptized today into a brand new life, a new beginning And have your name inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life. And would you do it now while we stand and while we sing? There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, oh haste to its bring. Tis the fountain of love from the source above. And he bids us all freely drink.